Holly Barson is an award-winning translator of contemporary Japanese literature and herself author of two books. Fifty Sounds was a memoir of some of her encounters with the Japanese language and now her latest is called Porn, an oral history. It's essentially 19 conversations with a range of acquaintances about their use of and views on pornography, which Barton says is ubiquitous, yet in the shadows somehow shameful, and she thinks we should talk about it more. She's here for Word Christchurch. I asked her why the book. I guess I got to a point where I was, you know, in my late 30s, um, had a, a really good group of friends um, with whom I, I felt like I could talk about anything to. And yet this subject of porn and I guess masturbation more generally um, was something that I had really never spoken to anybody about. Um, and I think that fact was really brought into focus for me by the way that increasingly everything I was reading and kind of consuming media-wise seemed to reference porn in some way. And, you know, everyone was constantly saying how ubiquitous it is and how widely used and how it's inescapable um, and sort of really forming a part of our culture. And I, I started to feel more and more the strange gap between that fact and what I felt was a total absence of it within the conversations that I was having. And so I decided to do something about it. It was the middle of the pandemic. It sort of felt like the world was being turned on its head anyway. So I kind of thought, well, why not actually try and have some of these conversations and see how awful and awkward um, they can be. Is it the internet that's made porn ubiquitous or would it be anyway one way or another? I mean, I think it's always been there um, and it's always been used. But I think that it is the internet and, and specifically the kind of the free streaming sites, you know, that are owned by MindGeek. So, you know, Pornhub being the, the most familiar name um, that have really, really converted the, the landscape. Um, you know, I mean, we're now at a stage where the average age for a child to view porn is something around 10 years old. Um, and, you know, when you think about it in those terms, probably most of our young people today will be consuming porn or at least seeing porn, familiar with it for years and years and years before they have their first sexual experiences. Um, so in that sense, it is, you know, the primary form of, of sex education, really, which is a kind of sobering thought. And do, I think... Do you think that, that's why we need to talk about it? Because it's so available to children? Or, no, do, or would I we don't. need to talk about it anyway? I think we need to talk about it anyway. And actually, you know, within the conversations that I had with people, I actually sort of deliberately avoided bringing up 
the subject of kids, because I think that definitely is an important topic for our society that we really, really need to consider. And, you know, educators and parents and stuff in in particular. But in my experience, it often also can serve as a kind of, (laughs) you know, talking about that aspect of, of it can be a way of very cleverly not talking about our own relationship with it as as adults. Because I think, you know, there are very few people in this world today whose lives aren't affected by porn in some way, whether or not they are watching it regularly. You know, I mean, several of the people that I spoke to, although they didn't regularly consume sort of porn or at least you know stream porn when they started talking about their sex lives and their intimate lives and their you know their their relationships with their partners and sort of previous encounters of various kinds the influence of porn on those is is felt so strongly um so I, I really do think we've got to this state of ubiquity not just in terms of you know actually it being very available and and at our fingertips but in terms of suffusing the kinds of relationships that we are having in the world it's unclear exactly what we're talking about actually because there's a whole range of things that can be contained within the title porn i mean for example you talk to one man in his 80s who described his porn consumption in the 1950s young ladies in bikinis, you know, (laughs) I mean, we are so far from that now, it's a different thing. He's shocked Mm. by what's available now. He is, yeah. Um, And that was something interesting, actually, that, you know, there were several points in in the conversations that I had where, where people would start talking about something like, let's say they would talk about erotica um, that they liked, you know, that was their their preferred form of, of porn consumption. And then they'd look at me and be like, wait a minute, is that is that porn? Does this count? Um, and I at that point would sort of say, you know, I'm 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 not the one to de- define what porn is and, and what it isn't. But I think that because, you know, the the, the Internet porn is just so common these days in a very very short space of time historically speaking and this you know that interview with the 82 year old really really makes that clear it has come to sort of eclipse all of the other forms of what we might call pornography I suppose um and and almost illegitimize them you know that 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 that's that's the real stuff that's what people tend to think i suppose because it is in a sense the most you know aggressive and high high stimulus porn you um in your epilogue you admit mm. that you still really have difficulty reaching an opinion on it um and the book in effect is your way of thinking through it yourself but One of the ways that we make it less terrible, and it can be terrible, is by talking about it, you suggest, and getting a sense of agency and responsibility over it rather than just being passive consumers. I understand the theory of talking about it so that you're more in control of 
what there is, but it's still being made, as you quote Pamela Paula saying, you know, by the capitalist socio-economic powers that are pornificating the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, in, in, in that sense, I really feel like porn is just one part of this whole range of things which, you know, this, this sort of attention economy in a way, you know, in, in when we move away from looking at the content and think about the format, I don't think it's that different to all kinds of things that are there on the internet, you know, competing for our attention via the use of incredibly sophisticated algorithms and, you know, giving us enough to kind of give us that dopamine hit, but always leaving us wanting more. I mean, I think we can't really talk about porn without comparing it to all the other things that that, that live in, in that world. But I do think that there there is this real tendency because porn is is a topic that brings together so many difficult feelings and 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 quite sort of complicated and thorny ethical dilemmas that the response can really be to turn away from it. Yeah. Um, and and either just maintain total silence and and sort of not really even engage with it on a personal level or to assume a very extreme position right like very very pro or very very anti and I think what I really wanted to suggest in this book was just that talking about it in a quite human and personal way can help us to unpick some of the threads that make up this, you know, incredibly um, confusing and overwhelming subject and, and make it feel a little bit more manageable, which is not to say that you will emerge from those conversations with a, with a fixed position. And actually, you know, after doing this project, I would sort of argue that maybe that's not the goal and shouldn't be the goal you know I, I feel like there's so much certainty in this world you know we, we're increasingly asked to have a, a very defined certain take on on everything and and these sort of um you know very polished opinions that we can wheel out at, at any time um and I think with something like porn certainly when we're first starting to discuss it, you know, it's suitably vast and suitably complex that actually a more nuanced and, and ambivalent take is, I would suggest, maybe a, a more kind of sophisticated way of seeing it. I'm talking to Polly Barton about her book, Porn and Oral History. One of the interviews that you did is particularly illuminating about one particularly problematic area of porn. It's with a woman in her mid-30s and she's in a long-term relationship with a man. And, I mean, you don't have to be Andrea Dworkin to believe that porn is essentially degradation of women. And if you are a feminist, you are generally in favour of liberalism progressive liberalism 
And yet, when it comes to porn, feminism comes up with the right wing on the same lily pad as the right wing, which is an uncomfortable thing. She expresses that discomfort. What do you think about mm. that? I think there's a lot of layers to this. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that I, that's certainly one feminist position is to be very anti-porn. And, I, you know, and I think that I, I, I need to say at this point that, you know, when we say porn, we can mean many, many things, as as you pointed out. And, you know, what people tend to imagine when they use the word porn is the kind of stuff that we would be seeing on the top page of Pornhub, which would be, you know, typically quite aggressive, often featuring acts of violence almost exclusively towards women. And there's plenty, plenty to worry about within that. But there's also a huge array of, of other types of porn that exist you know queer porn and 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 actually a lot of, of of kinky porn is extremely sort of upfront about those power dynamics and handles issues around consent etc in a what i consider a far more healthy way than a lot of the stuff that we find on pornhub because it is you know it is sort of explicitly acknowledged and the, and the the danger of it is 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 talked through but yes yeah, so th- so th- there is one feminist position which which says you know what this is just promoting violence towards women this is not okay there's another you know more sex positive type of feminism that would say you know the key thing here really is is consent and if the people involved in this are consenting if women want to go out and have sex with people be those be those women women in the world or or, or you know actors in a porn film then we have to support those choices and not actually sort of play into this culture which is essentially slut shaming any any woman who is you know enjoying herself and I think that there is a real tension between those two positions I recently read a book um, called Revolting Prostitutes which is written by two sex workers and they they use this term in the introduction sex ambivalence um, which I found really really helpful which is basically saying you know we we acknowledge that sex for, for, for many many people can be a joyous and wonderful and creative thing we also acknowledge that you know as as people in the world particularly as as women particularly as sex workers and this also applies to any kind of marginalized community you know sex is a site where all kinds of violence abuse and trauma are inflicted and so a bit like with anything else it it, it makes sense to hold those two elements in in focus at the same time and say look it can be great or it, it it can be awful and that's to me seems like the most humane position I think at the moment. Yes although you have to come back to the idea that feminism 
is whatever a woman wants to do, despite the fact that the patriarchy might have persuaded her that that's what she wants to do. That's where I get stuck. Right. Obviously, that's where it gets really, really difficult, right? Because, (laughs) I mean, there was one conversation in the book where it's talked, the, the person I was speaking to talks really, really explicitly about the role of the patriarchy in shaping all of our views of our sexuality and our gender and she quotes Mag Nelson saying kind of how can we know what it would be like otherwise because there is no control group right so a lot of the women who appear in the book the, the, the women that I spoke to who do watch porn on streaming sites tend to prefer porn where the woman the woman is being sort of dominated dominated and you know a lot of them sort of engage with this question of does this make me a bad feminist why is this the case is this something innate is this something that has you know has been inculcated in me through living in this patriarchal society as we all do and I think these are just such such thorny questions for me it's been really helpful to talk through some of them and yet I I feel like I'm only sort of at the beginning of the path of exploration you know it's so complicated right because you could have I mean just take you know your standard heterosexual couple uh both you know on the same page with regard to feminism but when it comes to porn he wants to dominate she wants to be dominated it's mm. it's undermining the struggle. Don't people say that to you? It's und- pornography undermines every thing that women fight for. Um, I don't know if anyone has said that in any of the conversations that I had so explicitly. I mean, I, I you know there there have definitely been times when I have felt that way but I also have spoken to a lot of women who have felt that you know pornography has also enabled them to connect with parts of their sexuality that they might otherwise not have come into contact with you know um and 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 here I think we we really are talking about the porn that exists outside of the mainstream sites or at least the top pages on the mainstream sites. I, I personally feel sex really is is about two things, leaving aside the, the procreation. It's it's about intimacy and it's about play. And I think there are times when porn can, if done well, invite a spirit of play. In, into people's sex lives or, or or sort of the sex lives that they have just, just with themselves. That certainly isn't always the case. And I think one of the most frustrating things for me about a lot of porn that is that it feels like there's such a limited number of scripts 
at work there. And so often it can feel the very opposite of creative. Which gets back to your but, argument you know, about how if we talk about it more, more agency can be exerted and thus I think so. more useful porn, perhaps, which seems a contradiction in terms, but I see what you mean, can be produced. Did, did, did anyone you spoke to find it desensitising, um, oppositional or uh, undermining of a healthy sex life by, <laughs> by making them think that what they see on the screen should be what happens even though it's unrealistic? I spoke to one woman whose previous partner had been deeply involved in porn. And she suspected that that was the cause of their sort of quite under par sex life and, and, and his aversion to intimacy um, within their relationship. They'd also had some sort of issues he liked a specific form of porn so he was very into um bodybuilders she found out accidentally by looking up something on his laptop and 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 finding bodybuilders on there but i i think with with that it's hard as with so many facets of this porn stuff it's very hard often to separate the chicken from the egg you know is there an over-reliance on porn because yeah, yeah, you know, because intimacy is feared in some way, or or is it an over reliance on porn that that then sort of creates that that worry about intimacy? So, you know, what I was doing was speaking to individual people, and I think from that it's hard to draw those kinds of statistical conclusions. I'm talking to Polly Barton, who compiled 19 conversations she had with a range of people into a book called Porn, an Oral History. Because of your immersion in the Japanese culture, and I'm assuming that a number of these people um, that you spoke to were Japanese, can you say whether there is a difference between the type of porn, to generalise, that Japanese people watch and that you would watch? Um... I don't like to generalise too much. I mean, one thing that's really interesting about Japanese porn is that by law, all of the genitalia needs to be pixelated. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, And there is a theory that it's that which has sort of spawned a lot of the more, you know, the, the things that people associate with with Japanese porn, sort of more extreme practices um, like bukake and gokun and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not even going to is, ask you what that is. Yeah, the readers can, um, oh, sorry, look the listeners can, can go away and look it up if they're not already aware. But let's say <laughs> it's, it's, you know, not involving genitals. Um, so it's it's sort of pornographic content. Again, usually extremely degrading to women but you know would would get around the needing to be pixelated aspect so that that is one difference i've i've had a few japanese people speaking to me about how much you know the wonder of pixels and and saying that actually they feel like that increases 
you know, the arousal in the same way that a lot of people would say that men and women in skimpy underwear are more exciting than naked men and women. Oh, sexy pixels. I hadn't thought about that. In the end, does does your book not contain a contradiction in that? It does seem to me that the point of porn, what makes it seductive, and, and in a way the, the pixels is an illustrative of that, is its shadowy, illicit nature. If sunlight is applied to it, it loses its titillation? I mean, I would argue that what I'm doing, it's not like I'm going into a room with someone and asking to sit with them while they consume porn. You know, I, I think we are talking about it in, in a very, very different context from any where people might feel sexual arousal in the same way that, I don't know, going to a sex therapist and, and talking through your sex issues can actually lead to a lot more fulfillment and excitement in the bedroom. I'm not obviously putting myself forward as any kind of porn therapist because I'm most certainly not that. But, you know, I, I did personally feel a noticeable sense of liberation in these conversations that I had. You know, I think I felt it for me and I afterwards people would, would say to me, you know, my God, it is so nice to actually be able to say some of these things that I have literally never told anyone, you know. But but the issue of transgression is really interesting, right? I mean, the, I, I do see what you mean in that the whole point of this project in, in some way is to sort of face and and deconstruct a lot of the shame that we feel around porn and 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 you know the silence that breeds that shame. But I there certainly is the argument to be made that actually in the moment watching porn is potentially more thrilling if you do feel a lot of shame. Yeah. Um, well put. Yeah. Much better put than I put it. The transgressive aspect is part of the charm. Mm. But I think you then can, as a couple of people spoke about in, in the book, fall into this real shame cycle, right? Where, sure, while you're actually consuming the porn, you know, the, the, the shame is sort of biologically blocked off and there's a great rush. But as soon as the orgasm happens, there can be a great rush of, of terrible feelings. I mean, there, there was one person I spoke to who was um, describing his experience of watching gay porn as a youngster and just sort of figuring out his sexuality and his total paranoia that he was going to be discovered you know, watching watching this this stuff that would indict him as as far as he was concerned at the time, and that certainly doesn't sound like a, a pleasant thing. You know, you're then, I think, approaching the kind of feelings and cycles that are common in addiction. What's the main thing you learned in the process of writing this book? I think I learned that. People think about this stuff a real lot. I began it because of the silence that 
existed around it. And I really didn't know when I opened up these conversations what that was going to look like, if people were going to say, oh, no, I haven't really thought about it before. But as it was, almost everyone I spoke to thought about it a lot, thought about the ethics of it a lot, where, you know, wherever their usage lay along the spectrum. And I think quite a few of them felt in some ways quite tortured about it, or certainly really relieved to let some of that out. Because I I also do think that Of course, it's important to think about these things for yourself, but there's a certain amount that there's a certain part of of this that can only really be done in conversation and through articulating these things and sort of sometimes trying on different positions and and thinking, oh, does that work? No, actually, I I said that, but I don't quite agree with that. You know, Um, I, I really feel like that is is a key part. And that was Polly Barton who wrote a book called Porn, An Oral History. Uh, She's appearing at Christchurch's Word Festival today and tomorrow. There's a link to our website.